Millions of people have been forced to make a decision within a few moments which settled their future destiny. I'll be back in a moment to talk about a four-letter word which can spell life or death for every individual. Hello, this is Joe Cruz and the Amazing Facts broadcast, facts which affect you. You know, sometimes the fate of empires and the destiny of individuals hinges on the speaking of one simple word. The most profound decisions of human history have been revealed by the voicing of one word, often as not a yes or no. Now today I'd like to build my message around a small English word that shall be responsible for the lingering death of millions of people all over the world. It's not the word yes or no, although it eventually leads to a position that will decide the eternal destiny for vast multitudes. I'm speaking about the little four-letter word, wait. Although it may look and sound like a very insignificant expression, it has probably done the world more harm and is doing more harm to the kingdom of God than any other word. I read from Joel 2, verse 1. Blow the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. Now, friends, there's no more important message than can supersede this one. Blow the trumpet in Zion, it says, for the Lord's coming is at hand. But what has that got to do with waiting? I find it all summed up in Joel 3:14. It says, Multitudes and multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Now this is speaking of the time of the battle of Armageddon and the coming of the Lord. And it says, Multitudes will be in the valley of decision. Remember that before Jesus comes, probation closes. And when probation closes, those who are still in the valley of decision will be forever lost. They've not meant to reject the truth. They plan sometime to accept him. But they're still there waiting in that valley of decision when the Lord comes. They've waited and waited and have stayed in the path of sin till sin has closed probation for them. Christ stands up from the judgment work in heaven and announces, It's done. And when those words ring through heaven and the earth reverberates with that message, then never, never another heart will be touched. Then it will dawn upon a world that's too late, too late forever. They've waited too long. That's the word that will send millions to destruction, the word wait. Now, friends, sin is easier to cure than a cold. A cold may take weeks to get over, but sin can be discarded instantly. The wise man should know well enough the danger, for he had put off salvation till it was almost too late. In Proverbs 27, 1, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. In other words, don't plan for tomorrow. Don't say, I'm going to give my heart to the Lord tomorrow. You've got to decide today, friends. Today's the day of salvation. When the light of truth shines into a person's heart, that's the time the Lord plans for that person to surrender to Him. That's the time the Lord is ready to work out His ways for you. Don't wait. Boast not thyself of tomorrow. It's a solemn thing to postpone surrender. The difference between a cold and pneumonia is the word wait. You catch a common cold when it first starts, it's, it's not pneumonia. And if it's taken care of right away, it never will be under ordinary circumstances and conditions. But the word wait introduced in a person's attitude toward a cold brings on pneumonia. 
Jesus says, come to me now. But we say, wait. And that postponement may result in spiritual pneumonia in our lives. Now, can anybody be certain of what's going to happen tomorrow, friends? James 4, 4 says, Whereas ye know not what shall be on tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then vanisheth away. That's verse 14 of James 4, by the way. Do you know that you will really live until tomorrow? I ask the individual who's not made a full surrender today, are you sure that you can make a full surrender some other day, maybe even tomorrow? It's the most dangerous thing to say, wait, when Jesus says, come now. Never once in all his ministry did Jesus advise anybody to wait, not even for one day or an hour. The only teaching you can find in the Bible is to come now. When you realize that someone has come to the threshold of eternity and has waited and waited too long, it gives you a most desperate feeling. That word wait is a devil's most successful trap. Satan is terribly interested in every single soul who is interested in salvation. He's very satisfied as long as man is merely interested. That man takes false comfort in the fact that the Lord knows how good his intentions are. The devil's plan ordinarily is not to get us to reject the Savior entirely, but to neglect him. Just wait. Satan doesn't mind at all people saying, I know I must take my stand. I know it's right, and I'm going to do it sometime. Oh, listen, it's just as serious to neglect Jesus as it is to reject him. When we neglect him, it shows that we don't trust him. We don't really believe in him. There are very few of us who have not had some experience with this and have seen the seriousness of putting off. I find it in Paul's writings in Acts 24, verse 25, And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. Now that, friends, is one of the most serious and solemn decisions that a man could ever make. Felix believed in the true God, and he had a certain amount of light. Finally, Paul was called in before him, and he stood up before that man with chains on his wrist. And he pled with Felix about the most solemn things that he could have talked about, righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. All three are of vital and eternal importance. And when Felix heard these things, he actually trembled. Many individuals come to that place where it dawns on them that they're in a lost condition unless they repent. They tremble when they hear the word of God, for they realize it's a truth. And that's a place Felix had reached. Did he take his stand and say, I'm going to take Jesus as my Savior to cover my sins? No, he didn't, friends. It goes on to say, I know that it's true, Paul. I know what I should do. But never mind now. Go your way for this time, and when it's more convenient, I'll call for you. In other words, Felix passed the day of surrender because he preferred that word, wait. Paul preached to him concerning the most solemn things possible. He gave him the last warning message, but the tragedy is that Felix clung to that fatal word, wait. Today may be the last convenient season in your life, friends, the last opportunity for you to surrender. I can't say. There was never another season that was more convenient for Felix than when he had the truth and was under conviction over it. Tradition has it that a little later Felix died a most miserable death, his heart still unsurrendered to the very end. Now there's another reason why individuals do not take their stand for God, and that is doubt. 
They can't quite understand all God's dealings with His children. They can't understand all about God, and so they wait. Now, friends, I've experienced doubt, and I know just what it is, but I tell you this much. If you wait to have all doubt disappear before you come to Jesus, you will never come. If you wait until everything is clear, you'll wait too long, for that time will never come either. When you follow Jesus, you must follow Him by faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, there's another excuse that comes. We don't intend to let it stay as an excuse so long, but it does anyway, and that is one's job. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. Now, friends, there's the job to think about. They were out by the seashore, and they saw Jesus walking along. And uh, he was walking along, and he saw Andrew and Peter, who were brothers. And he said, Come and follow me. Now, you stop and think of all the excuses they might have brought in. They might have said, well, we've got to sell our business first, Jesus, and then we'll come. We've got to be sure of some kind of an income. But no, no, when he called them to come, when they heard the invitation to follow him, they straightway left their business and followed him. That's why they made such good disciples. They trusted him to take care of them. What if Peter had said, well, Lord, I plan to come. I intend to follow you, but just wait. There never would have been an apostle Peter, friends, for Jesus wants disciples who, when he calls them, will say, I'll follow now. Matthew 9 and verse 9 speaks of another of the disciples. And as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. Now, who is this we're talking about here, friends? It was Matthew. He's the one who wrote this book of the Bible, you remember, and he's telling his own experience of how he was a clerk at the gate where taxes were being collected. And then Jesus passed along and gave him that invitation, and he said, Come and follow me. Now, you just try to think for a moment, friends, of all the excuses that he might have offered to Jesus. And he could have said, Well, Lord, uh, I'm working here. I can't come now. My job is very important here. My position is, is essential. Maybe later on I can get on this work and uh, have it arranged for somebody else to take care of, and, and then I'll come to you and be one of your followers. No, Matthew, when Jesus called him, came then, that very moment. There's another excuse that he might have made, and that's an excuse that many men make nowadays. Oh, they say, I've worked here in this concern for 36 years, Lord. And if I just keep on for four years more, I'll get my pension. I'm going to come and follow you and be one of your disciples, <clears throat> but I want to wait until I'm sure of that pension first. Now, friends, Jesus wanted him now. That's why he called him when he did. If Matthew had waited for four years till he had gotten his pension or perhaps gotten out of debt, Jesus would have made up his twelve disciples already. He would have completed his ministry, in fact. He would have already died on the cross and would have been raised from the dead, and it would still have been six months before Matthew would have been ready to come. But no, Jesus said, Come now, and Matthew came. One time a minister was invited to speak in a prison to the inmates. He was taken through the doors and to the room where the prisoners were gathered for that meeting, 
and before him he noticed two chairs draped in black. Two men were seated in those chairs. That minister said as he realized that he was giving those men their very last message, he preached as he had never preached before. To think of having the responsibility of bringing words of hope to a man for the very last time, what a responsibility. As I speak to you today, I realize that some of you may be hearing your last appeal to surrender. Satan is cruel. He'll cut your life short, unsurrendered if possible. And God is giving you the opportunity to make your decision. If you pass this by, friends, what hope do we have? There may be another chance, but there might not be, you see. This is the heavy, indescribable burden that weighs on the minister when he speaks to souls in the valley of decision. I hope your decision to make, to follow Jesus, friends, has already been made, and that you're willing to do it regardless of the consequences.